It's fine. One, two. Good morning, church. You well? Uh, am I too loud? Am I fine? Okay. God is good? And all the time? Amen. Um, I'm just getting a bit of an echo here at the back. Get your Bibles, turn with me to um, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to try and move away from the sound. When you're at Ephesians chapter 5, just give me an amen. amen. We've been in the book of Ephesians and chapter 5 for the last three, three weeks. And um, we've been preaching from the series called Redeeming the Time. Everybody say, Redeem, Redeem. The, time. the Time. Say it again, Redeem, Redeem. The, time. the Time. And this morning's message is simply titled, Wake Up and Walk. Wake Up and Walk. Reading from verses 14 therefore the Lord says awake you sleeper arise from the dead and Christ will give you light wake up see that you walk circumspectly not as fools but as wise redeeming the time because the days are evil Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5 says walk in wisdom towards those who are outside redeeming the time that phrase is repeated twice in scripture walk in wisdom towards those who are outside redeeming the time and in Psalms chapter 19 I think it's verse 12 the scripture says Lord teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity to be in your presence and hear your word. What a Kairos moment this is. Every moment in your presence and every minute in your presence is precious, especially when we gather together with the people of God. And so we've not neglected the assembling of ourselves together but we've come that we may provoke one another to good works. So Lord, anoint our ears that we may hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. We re rebuke the fowl of the air that will try to steal the word. Help us, Lord, not to be like uh, Hebrew forefathers in the wilderness who heard your word but did not mix it with faith. So it was important unprofitable to them but help us to hear your word that faith may arise in our hearts that precious currency of heaven faith help us to build ourselves up in our most holy faith as we hear your word this morning in the name of Jesus and everybody says amen and amen oh my we're just going to recap and um, 
like it said, repetition is the mother of memory. Amen. Paul told the church of Corinthians, he was teaching in the same topic over and over again. And he says, for me to repeat these things are not tedious, but beneficial for your hearing. So we saw a few weeks ago that when we read the Genesis account and the story of our, our beginnings in chapter 1 of Genesis, the Bible says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, and the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the waters of the deep. And so the first, the first picture we have of God in his redemptive business is staring and being presented with an earth that is desolate. An earth that is a watery abyss. An earth that is a chaotic mess. And so God in his, in his speaking and God in his utterance spoke and said, let there be light. And when God spoke, he spoke order into chaos. He spoke light into darkness. And when God created the, the contents of the universe, one of the first things that God did was start the clock. He separated the, the light from the darkness. He called the light day and he called the darkness the night. And he started the clock for humanity. And time became the construct of the universe. And he placed man in the passage of time. And we became time people. We are time people because we live and exist in the construct of time which God had created. Now God is transcendent. So he is not governed by the clock. But he placed us within the passage of time. Time, we said, is a non-renewable resource. Once time is gone, it's gone. You cannot literally redeem the clock. We also said that time is measurable. It's measured in days and weeks and, and minutes and hours. We also said that when we look at the Greek New Testament, we understand that, that there are two dis distinctions and two understandings of time. Kronos and Kairos. And Kronos refers to the quantitative measure of time. Time by the calendar, time by the clock, time in days and hours and minutes. But Kairos, we said, represents qualitative moments in time. Defining moments, times of transition, uh, opportune moments in life. And so when we think of Kronos, we think of how time is measured by the calendar and the clock. And when we think of Kairos, we think about opportunities. God moments, windows of opportunity. So when the scripture says, redeem the time, the scriptures in the Greek are saying, buy the opportunity, seize the moment, capture the opportunity, 
because the opportunity of a lifetime, like I said, exists only for the lifetime of the opportunity. Window periods of opportunity are presented to us to maximize and seize. And the scripture says that it's our business and it's our calling because we are the redeemed. We are called to redeem time. We are instructed to redeem time. Redeeming the time is our calling and mandate. Kairos is redeemable. We are called to be expert merchants in the commodity of time. So redeeming precious moments is our business as children of God. We then looked at Ephesians chapter 5 and we did a cross-reference with Colossians chapter 4. Because those are the only two times the phrase redeem the time appears. And each time the phrase appears, another word appears with it in context. And we mentioned that wherever a truth is repeated in scripture, it's for further clarity and emphasis. God is trying to accentuate a truth. It's like a drummer. He plays a beat. But on a specific note, he places an accent. Do, do, do. And God is trying to accentuate a particular truth. So when the scripture says in Ephesians chapter 5, walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. And when Colossians chapter 4 says, walk in wisdom towards those who are outside, redeeming the time, we see that the term wisdom appears each time redeeming the time is referenced, which gives us a clue and an insight on how we can redeem the time. We redeem the time through wisdom. Wisdom is our resource and leverage in buying the opportunity and claiming and seizing opportunities. We define wisdom not as you know, the Greeks did. And this is the contrast we get in scripture. And you must understand the, the times that the scriptures were, were written in. You had the Greeks that were the kings of philosophy. And so when the Greeks thought or spoke of wisdom, they thought of wisdom in a philosophical sense. You know, it was conceptual. You must sound sophisticated. You know, you must have this refined eye for, uh, ear for wisdom. And, and they were rich in literature and poetry. And, and, and the greatest of philosophers like Socrates and, and Aristotle, all of them came out of Greece. And so their understanding and concept of wisdom is that wisdom is philosophical, it's abstract. But when we looked at the book of, of Proverbs, we saw that wisdom is not philosophical. Wisdom is, is practical. And we saw this in the way that Solomon personified wisdom as a woman who's calling out and crying out in the streets and inviting you to come in and partake of a meal. And we said that wisdom is not the pie in disguise, the steak on the plate. It must be practical, it must be embodied, it must be seen in how you make your decisions and how you carry out your life.
So we can, we can talk the talk, but we have to walk the talk. We have to be walkie-talkies. <laughs> yeah? And so we can talk all nice things and quote all nice scriptures and, and sound so intelligent and have a string of degrees. But if our intelligence is not fleshed out and carried out in our daily decisions, we miss the point of what wisdom is actually about. Okay. We said that wisdom is the key to redeeming the time because wisdom is timeless. Wisdom is timeless. Bible says that Wisdom existed before the earth was formed. And by wisdom, God laid down the foundations of the earth. So wisdom is timeless because wisdom is an attribute of God. It's an inherent quality of God. We said that just as the word became flesh, wisdom must be embodied in our lives. And we also said that wisdom is the interchange between common sense, discernment, knowing how to distinguish value. We say that wisdom is also the grit and capacity to act on what you believe. You know, uh, Lerone, uh, earlier you made me feel bad, you know. I was holding a can of Red Bull and I, and I told uh, Lerone, hey, you know what, I gave up this stuff. <laughs> and he's like, he said to me, but babe, I thought you gave up this Red Bull. <laughs> See, wisdom is seen and not just heard. Yeah. Must be seen in conduct and in behavior. <laughs> wisdom can be obtained by fearing the Lord. Amen. Bible says in Proverbs, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So we've got to become concerned or, or conscious of His presence because that's what it means to fear the Lord, that you are conscious of His presence. In whatever you're doing from day to day, you are conscious that God is with you. And you're aware of His presence. And we said wisdom is also being concerned with these principles. Being concerned about the truth. Loving the truth. Standing for the truth. Learning the truth. Because the truth doesn't set you free. It's the truth you know that sets you free. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And when the scripture uses the term you shall know the truth. It uses the Greek word ginosko, which means to know the truth by experience. I don't know my wife from studying a book. I know my wife by experience and acquaintance. And that's how familiar we've got to become with the truth and with the principles of his word. And so the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Now to gain proper clarity of what it means to redeem the time, we're going to go just 
a little bit deeper. Can we go just a little bit deeper? Now we go too, too deep, there we get puns. Okay. One of the best ways to understand scripture is if you don't pick up the Bible to know what's the intended meaning of the author, you've missed a point. You've got to, every time you read a particular passage or book of the Bible or scripture, you've got to sit down and ask yourself the question, what was the intended meaning of the author? What was the purpose for what he said? And to get to the intended meaning of what the author of the book was trying to convey, you have to look at the context. You have to look at the context of the verse and the context of the passage and the context of the chapter and the context of the book. Co context is what connects the reader to the author. Context is the glue that binds the author his intended, and his intended meaning to the recipient. When it comes to reading and understanding the scriptures, context is the king of interpretation. Now let's turn to Ephesians 5. Everybody looking at Ephesians 5. Everybody looking at Ephesians 5. Are we, are we all there? I'm not hearing pages on the right hand side for some reason. Are you guys using apps? <laughs> are you guys using silent pages? Okay. We at Ephesians 5 and verse 15. Everybody looking at your Bible. I know you wanted some uh, shouting and, and clapping this morning, but just going to want you to put on your spectacles. We're going to define context as the circumstances that create the setting for a statement. Okay? It's what goes before what's said and what goes after what's said. Okay? So context is the surrounding passages of the verse. Okay? This is our verse. Okay? We read this morning from verse 14, chapter 5. Therefore, he says, Awake, you sleep, arise from the dead, Christ will give you light. Verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Okay? Redeeming the time. Because the days are evil. Now, let's read from verse 1. Can I read from verse 1? Yes. It's a fine if we cover a bit of landscape this morning. Okay. It's good to read scripture in church. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather give thanks. 
for this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, no covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Notice verse 2, walk in love. And notice verse 8, walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. righteousness. And truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of these things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest in the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, wake up. Wake up. And see that you walk. The term walk is used again three times. Walk circumspectly. Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time. For the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Boom, verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine, in which leads to dissipation, but be filled with one another, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and singing, and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting one to another in the fear of the Lord. What is the context addressing? What has redeeming the time got to do with the context? The context is addressing the believer's conduct. Is that safe to say? The, con the context is addressing the believer's conduct. It says, but don't give in to fornication, uncleanness, and covetousness, and cursing, and coarse joking, and foolish talk. These things must, must not even be named among you. It's not fitting for the saints. But walk in love, walk circumspectly, walk as children of the light. Wherever you see the term walk in scripture, you can literally substitute it for the term behave. Yeah. Behave in love. Behave as children in the light. Behave circumspectly. So wherever you see the phrase, walk in the spirit, means behave in the spirit. Conduct yourself in love. Walk in the truth. Conduct yourself in the truth. Now when the scripture says, walk circumspectly, the term circumspectly 
comes from two Latin words. Hey, guys, we're getting technical this morning. Hey. <laughs> comes from two Latin words. Circumference and spectrally. That's where we get the word circumference, right? Which means everything in your vicinity, in your area. And spectrally is where we get the word spectacles. So you've got to have your spectacles on and you've got to be observant for any threats or danger. Anything that may be a threat or danger to your conduct. Walk, behave observantly. Be on the lookout. Why? Because Paul tells us the days are evil. Why would he say the days are evil? This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. Why would the days that the Lord has made, why would Paul call them and, and say these days are evil? Because if you consider the context of Ephesians in chapter 2, he tells us that Satan is the God of this age. And he has the whole world under his sway. And he's the prince of the power of the air. So Paul is not condemning the calendar. He is not saying that the hours themselves are wicked. No. He's saying that the days and the times we're living in are perilous times. In other words, the darkness, the darkness is growing. And from day to day, you will be confronted with evil. You will be confronted with temptation. And don't be found asleep. He said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says, know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Perilous times will come. Men shall become lovers of pleasure, covetous, boastful, proud, blasphemous. Children will become disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Men and women will become despisers of what is good. And friends and family, you are not oblivious to the fact that the darkness is growing. It's growing and in spite of nothing being new under the sun, the kind of challenges our children and the next generation is, is facing is slightly different and intensified to the challenges we faced. Our children today are facing something that we never really faced years ago. They're facing mental illness and anxiety. That has become the buzzword today. According to statistics, it's now proven that teenagers, teenagers are the most high risk group of suffering with depression. 
there are more cases of teenagers committing suicide than any other people group. Why? Because the systems are failing our kids. Number one, the number one system that's failing is the family structure. The family structure is failing the next generation. The divorce rate has never been so high. The educational system is failing our children. And Martin Luther said this years ago, he said, I fear, I fear that the very schooling system of this world will become the gates of hell. And what are they teaching our kids today? They're teaching them evolution and they're teaching them transgenderism. And they're teaching them tolerance. The economic structure is failing our kids. Where I'm from in KZN, uh, from a small town, some of you are from there, Peter Maritzburg, over a space of four, I don't know, space of two months, at least five or six people I know have committed suicide. And one of the reasons is because the economic climate in Peter Maritzburg is so glum, so glum. Nobody can find employment. And so we have the systems of this world failing. We have the family structure failing. And in some cases we're having, you know, some parts of the church failing. We have substance abuse in a way we've never seen it today. Teenagers have options. People have options. The drug addict now has options. And before you could be on a drug and outlive the majority of us here. But the kind of stuff they're putting in drugs now, retics and you know, prescription medication stuff, and you know. The pandemic is growing and growing and growing. And this is impacting on the physical health and the spiritual health and the mental well-being of the next generation. One thing we've, we've slacked in fighting as the church, I guess it's because it's become the norm, we've stopped fighting for sexual purity in the church because it's become, it's become, you know, like, I mean, the times are so rough and dark, you know. I had one, let me give you an example. I'll, I'll say it in a light-hearted way, but I mean it in a serious way. <laughs> but I had this brother, and you know, I love the Lord, and, and he met this young, young damsel. And one day I met him, and he was so down, and I was like, brother, what happened? And he was like, ah, the clutch slipped. <laughs> the clutch slipped, and I said, I said, it's, it's okay. I said, was it a woman? <laughs> said, yes, yes, it was a woman. I said, okay, cool, I'm happy. 
but I'm saying these are the times we're living in. Okay? These are the times we're living in. Pornography has become so accessible for us. I mean, before I catch one of my uncles with the magazine, you know, I'd find these magazines in the yard. But now your kid has access to it on their phone. And all the kind of fault that has been spewed out through social media and YouTube and, and all these sites have just become so accessible to every single one of us. The social media generation has created a false impression of what life is really about. Can I say that again? Social media has created a false impression of what life is about. You know, um, Zoe and I had a, a, a kind of a patch in our marriage. Do, do marriages still go through patches, guys? Yeah. And someone commented um, during that turbulent time and said, hey, but you guys are such a lovely couple, man. I said, why would you say that? No, I look at all the pictures on Facebook. You're such a beautiful family and, and you're all smiling and you're glowing. You're, I want a, a marriage like yours. And I said, yeah, brother. <laughs> I said, social media does not tell you the other side of the story. You know, I said, brother, do you know when Zuei was in a third trimester and I was getting impatient with her. And, and I just spoke to her in a way she doesn't like to be spoken to. So he doesn't like it when your finger's pointing at her. For some reason, I don't know. <laughs> and we're driving down and we're doing photography and we're off to doing a, a gig. And we, we're driving down this road in Little Falls and it's quite a steep road. And I'm probably going around 40 kilometers per hour and she decides to open the door and jump out of a moving car like it was a Van Damme movie. <laughs> What I'm saying is that social media, Instagram, Facebook is telling you a half truth. All those bodybuilders you see there and you know the ladies with their Brazilian booties. You don't know half of what they're going through. Don't let social media lie to you. When, uh, when uh, uh, what's his name? Jim, Jim Jones. He was a preacher before in the era of Jimmy Swagger. Uh, maybe I'm taking some of you, maybe I'm revealing my age and taking you guys two way back. But he ended up behind bars and in prison. And he was in prison because, you know, of tax evasion. And, and you know, SARS and the IRS don't play games. You, know, you cheat on your SARS and your income tax, you can sit in jail for five years, <laughs> you know. But um, anyway, when he was interviewed by one of the preachers, uh, Rick Joyner, and asked him, uh, Pastor Jim, where did it go wrong for you? The first statement that come, came out of his mouth was, the TV lied to me. Because he became a TV personality. He said, the TV lied to me. Now he meant that in a metaphor, but don't allow the TV to lie to you. Don't allow the screen to lie to you. Most of us are suffering with depression and have a low self-esteem and we're not thankful for where we are in life. 
because we're looking at everybody flashing on boats and yachts and wearing Jordans and I'm look at these kids wearing <laughs> Jordans and I'm like oh my goodness I wish I could really get another pair of Jordans <laughs> these kids outdress you but social media will not tell you the other side of the story the days are evil because it's convenient now to sin and everyone will understand if you do technology products options and back then we didn't have the options you know but now you have the options so when the Bible says redeem the time what how is redeeming the time linked to your conduct how do you redeem the time through your conduct let me put it this way if you engage in sin if you are chasing a vain pursuit you are pursuing something that you are not designed to pursue yeah. you are taking your time indulging in something you're not supposed to indulge in yeah. when you live unrighteously and your conduct is messy and you can say what you like and speak to people the way you like and you can not buckle up your belt or pull up your skirt I'm getting dead now <laughs> you are being distracted from your purpose Come on, you are being sidetracked from what God called you to do firstly indulging in sin in, in a biblical sense is wasting time sure. how am I wasting time preacher you are wasting time away from the presence of God you are wasting time in the away from the presence of God do you know what fulfillment and pleasure there is in the presence of God in his presence there's fullness of joy you know I'd rather be in his presence than anywhere else in the world I'd rather be in God's house than in any club on this green planet and to be separated from his presence is a waste of time and so when Adam fell into disobedience he lost time God was like Adam where are you we have time together we're supposed to walk together and have fellowship together he was disconnected from time in his presence So unrighteous living takes you away from the presence of God, time from the presence of God. Unrighteous living also takes you away from your purpose. Some of you were called to be preachers and teachers and musicians and, and poets. And some of you were called to be businessmen. And, and some of you were called to be mighty in the earth. 
But what are you doing? You're still playing footsie footsie over here. And God is saying, wake up. Where purpose is unknown, abuse is inevitable. You are not walking in purpose. You lose time from purpose. And I want to tell this the story of a man of God who was called to to preach the gospel to the nations and God called him to establish a church okay and God gave him the vision of this church you know and he actually in a dream he got an architect to you know sketch out the plans of what this church would look like and so years go by the 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 church is is never built and he sits in a service and while this man's preaching he notices every Sunday this man is weeping in the audience just weeping and it will go on for weeks and months and so one day the pastor came up to him and said sir I notice every time uh, we're in the presence of God we have in church I notice you're crying is there something wrong and he says yes sir and he pulled out the plans that he had for the church and the pastor looked at his plans and got such a shock and it was the exact plans of the building that the pastor was leading the exact church that that young pastor built was the exact church of the plans that this guy had he was intended to build that church but here he is sitting in the building that God bypassed him got through to someone else it kind of reminds you of what Mordecai said to Esther if you don't stand up salvation will come to the Jews from somewhere else and so that man lost he lost time with purpose don't think you're indispensable God will use someone else less talented less gifted if you spend time away from purpose and lastly we waste time with the people that matter most if you pursue the pleasures of this world and you pursue uh, the evil and darkness that this world is providing for you on a platter you lose time with the people that God called into your life how many fathers have been separated from their kids and have lost valuable time from their kids and from their families and from their wives how many friendships God put in your life but because you decided no I'm gonna go with the popular crowd I'm gonna hang out with the cool kids and you missed out on a valuable relationship that would have taken you places come on babe when you indulge the vain pleasures and pursuits of this life you lose time with the people you love and I watched this um, this clip on social media there's two comedians and they were sobbing like babies and one of the comedians said because I chose this career path and I chose this road to success the only time I get to see my daughters through FaceTime and he's weeping and sobbing 
And so his host on, on, on the blog is saying, why do you think I drink at nine o'clock in the morning? I don't get to see my kids. Don't let the life you choose and the pleasures you indulge in take you away from your wife, take you away from your husband, take you away from your family and your kids. Don't allow sin to rob you. He comes except to steal, kill, and destroy. Kairos, while it refers to an opportune time, Kairos also refers to an appointed time, to a given time, okay, to an epoch. So when the scripture says, redeeming the time, it also suggests that you've been given an appointed time, a fixed time. Don't squander it on wasteful living. You will never get that time back. No. Don't squander the time you have in wasteful living. Why? Because you have two appointments. You have two appointments that are inescapable. No matter, you, you can put off any other appointment in this life, but not these two appointments. For it is appointed once unto man to die. Thereafter, the judgment. You have an appointment with death, every single one of you. Sorry to bust your bubble, baby, but you have an appointment with death. The second appointment you have is at the judgment. And no one is escaping the judgment. You can escape the judgments of this land, but you will never escape the judgment of God. And the judgment of God is as guaranteed as your appointment with death. It is appointed for man to die once and thereafter the judgment. Time is limited. You have been given a fixed allocated time. And I said this in previous messages, is that as long as you have time, you have purpose. Don't squander time. It's your most valuable commodity. We are people of time. And so I want to say this, and, and we've developed kind of a theological imbalance in church, especially when we think around the grace of God. The grace of God will forgive you of your sins. Okay. But if that's the only purpose you think the grace of God is for, you've missed the point. The grace of God is given to you so that you can also overcome sin and temptation. It means that when you are faced with your weakest moments, you can actually say no and walk away. I don't care how you walk away. You can walk away with your tail in between your legs. <laughs> but you don't take fire to your bosom. If you take fire to your bosom, you will be burnt. A guarantee. Stay connected to the vine. I'm closing. For those of you looking at the, the clock here. <laughs> you can avoid temptation. You can avoid evil. You can walk circumspectly. 
How? How, preacher? You prepare yourself. We spoke a great deal about preparation and flipping the scripts. And I said, that's how you prepare for favorable moments in your life, is that you undergo the process of preparation. In other words, if you know you have a weakness for tall, dark, and handsome, <laughs> the first thing you do, your first response, is you give your life to prayer. Amen. Be a prayer warrior. Talk to God about it. Say, Lord, these are my struggles. Help me. And Jesus said this. He said this to his disciples. And we miss this when we talk about temptation and avoiding temptation. He said, pray to his disciples in the garden. He said, least you fall into temptation. Pray least you fall into temptation. So the believers who are fumbling and stumbling into temptation have their prayer lives exposed. You have not been giving yourself to prayer. You pray about You make it a matter of prayer. You speak to, to the, the one who has conquered sin and the grave and death. You speak to him about it and say, Lord, help me to overcome. I'm telling you, years ago, I was a youth leader. I tell the story so much. I think one day my wife was going to clap me behind it. One day my youth leader and, and this pretty little girl came up to me and said, Hey, hey, people, I've been dreaming of you. And in that moment, because I was a young man of prayer, I prayed. I prayed, and I heard a voice. And the voice said, Bevan, Bevan, Satan has asked for you to sift you as weight, but I've interceded for, for you. And in that moment, there came an, in, an interruption. Two seconds too late. And I would have been like that bass in the dam, or, you know, that, you know, Buddha's fishing here, and it's hooked and gone with the, with the line. <laughs> but God intervened because of a simple prayer. Prayer is your weapon against temptation and evil. Read and meditate on the scriptures. It's simple. Read your Bible. Pray every day. They taught us this in Sunday school. It's still the key to victory. You pray, you meditate on the word, you memorize the scripture, you chew the word till it becomes part of your being. You fall in love with his commandments. And when it comes to obeying his commandments, because you have such a love for his word and his commandments, you can boldly say they are not burdensome. It's not a burden to carry out his commands. And thy word of hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. Study your Bible. Read your Bible. Quote your Bible. Think your Bible. Buy your Bible. <laughs> Listen to your Bible. Go to a church where they talk about the Bible. Make the Bible your passion, your pursuit. How do you avoid temptation? Through wisdom. We've been speaking about wisdom a lot, haven't we? Wisdom. In other words, if you struggle with pornography, maybe consider getting rid of your phone and getting a Tamagotchi phone, a Nokia 3310. If it really is a matter, Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Yeah. 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 Maybe, maybe tell everybody, hey, I'm, I'm no more using data. I'm on, 
you know, it's a temporary thing, you know, <laughs> you know? Uh, I'm just on SMS, or, or, or put those restrictions online. You know, you get those filters and restrictions, put them, and go to a group, read scriptures about immorality of fornication, read, read around, study the topic, get it into your system, get around people, believers who can talk about these things, you know, these things are not shameful to talk about, a lot of people struggle with, with these things, you know, share your struggles about this, don't hang around friends who think along those lines and make it more difficult for you to overcome your challenges. Use wisdom. If you know driving down Henry Pochiter or wherever, Hull Street is a problem, don't ever take that route. Walk the other way around. Do whatever you must to limit and restrict your weakness. Starve it from growing. Starve it. Prayer, the Word of God, wisdom, and friends. And I'm going to say this in closing. Righteousness is your leverage to redeeming the time. When Ephesians, we're still in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6 speaks of the full armor of God. The helmet of salvation. The breastplate of righteousness. Why a breastplate of righteousness? Because righteousness protects the core of your being. If you lose righteousness, right living. If you lose right living, you've lost your most powerful weapon. Most people are not confident and bold in their faith. They're afraid to share the gospel because they, don't, they, they haven't put on the, God, the breastplate of righteousness. They're living wobbling between this opinion and that opinion and, and light and darkness and God is saying how long will you hold between two opinions how long will you be a fence-sitter throw the line in the sand and say I'm going to be hot and not lukewarm I'm going to be hot and I'm going to be on fire for the Messiah in Jesus name righteousness is your weapon and righteousness along with wisdom is how we redeem the time. Can we stand?